Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Divided Films, the podcast where we talk about movies that audiences and critics do not agree on. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Keith. Hello! And uh, returning to the podcast today um, is our good friend, the very funny Sean Newman. Good morning, guys. What's poppin'? Hey, Sean. Hey, man. Sean, uh, one of the minds behind the very hilarious Frog Boys. Uh, what's the latest, man? What What's the latest you guys have been working on? Well, we got a few things in the works. We got a uh, a 3D sketch coming which is uh kind of a game changer for us yeah Yeah, holy wow um so yeah that's gonna be pretty epic basically we're trying to find a way to to um parody the pixar stuff and really (laughs) give it the right feel you know what i mean we don't want to try to do a 3d stuff in a 2d world so basically uh that's that's one thing we're working on i'm pretty excited about Mm -hmm. Um, sounds awesome we're working on a uh, a Tinder sketch for for Valentine's Day. That's the projected date. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And that's again, I guess you kind of just have to see it. But yeah, I mean, all day, every day. That's that's what I'm doing, man. I'm always always working on cartoons and coming. We got to a, a bunch of things in the you. pipeline. Come yes, in. sir. I did. Yes, we'll, sir. We'll definitely be uh, looking out for that. So that's very exciting to hear. Um, so uh, today, uh, we are talking about. The 2019 uh, drama, thriller, suspense, kind of hard to peg this movie down genre-wise, but uh, nevertheless, the 2019 film, Uncut Gems, uh, directed by the Safdie brothers and starring Adam Sandler, uh, this movie has um, falls into the category of having a positive score with critics and a negative score with audiences on Rotten Tomatoes it has a 92% approval from audiences, 52% approval from Ooh. Oh sorry, other 92% uh approval from critics, I should say, and 52% approval from audiences. So a 40% difference there is pretty significant, one of the biggest gaps we've seen. And the critics consensus Uncut Gems reaffirms the Safties as masters of anxiety-inducing cinema and proves Adam Sandler remains a formidable dramatic actor when given the right material. Um, so there you have it. Uh, uncut gems. Definitely something critics were more receptive to than audiences. And uh, let's try to dig into why we think that may be. Uh, let's let's start with uh, Sean. What was your reaction when you first saw this movie? And what, what are your thoughts about this divide? I actually, I love the movie. I'm... Completely shocked that that many people think it was trash. That's uh, completely unexpected for me because I thought the only the only divide on this one was going to be between like whether it should have been an Oscar nominee or not, which uh, you know it was not, Snubbed. I believe. But yeah, it, like what won that that year? Let's see, twenty nineteen. Uh, Joaquin. Joaquin won uh, for best for actor. Joker. Yeah, yeah, for best. Okay, actor. that's 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 hard to knock. That's hard to knock that one. <laughs> Should have been nominated uh, though. Should have. Should have at least been nominated, yeah, right? Should have been nominated. Um, yeah, man, I I really like this one a lot too when I first saw it. Um, but I had a feeling that some people might go into this movie with maybe the wrong idea, right? Maybe we're not used to seeing Adam Sandler in a dramatic role like this. And uh, yeah, this is a movie that's really like in your face. And yeah, you know, has like a very different energy than what a lot of people are used to seeing, which I like. You know, I, I want to get more movies that are just different than what you're used to getting. Uh, but for a lot of audiences, when you're so used to getting one kind of film, something that's out of that can be um, a little too jarring for some. You know, I think a lot of it's audi- like yeah, it's like the initial uh, J- like Jim Carrey when he started doing uh, serious roles, and even the Cable Guy. Like I know that got like torn apart because people are like this isn't the same old slapsticky jokey jim carrey that i always see yeah exactly. you know so but but i feel like adam sandler's had those forays into dramatic stuff before so it's it's strange that people are like i just can't see it like yeah you're right uh he has he has to success you know um had some good dramatic performances so this is not totally out of the blue what about you keith this is a series of unfortunate events. That that's what this movie should really be called. Uh, I 
This is my second time seeing it. I really enjoyed it. I this is a career high, I think, for Adam Sandler. I can also kind of understand. I don't think this movie is for everyone, and that's okay. Like sure. I like I think I was trying to think of a good metaphor for this movie. And you know, this movie, you know, people always equate it to roller movies to roller coasters and that. And you could say this movie's a ride, but right before the ride, the guy running it goes, "Oh shit, that's not supposed to do that." And then the ride goes off. Like mm-hmm. that, like some people will not do not like that experience of this movie is anxiety inducing. Like, oh yeah. The critics consensus got that like <laughs> they hit the nail on the head with that. Oh, for sure. The whole movie is just, um, you know, like I, I can be a bit of a nail biter sometimes. And throughout this whole movie, I just couldn't stop. It was um, it was tough. You know, I think one one review I saw, it's like not for the faint of heart, which is interesting. You know, it's a new kind of thriller or suspense, not the kind where, you know, a bomb's about to go off or something, but definitely the kind where just things are going wrong over and over again. And um, you can just sense that. um you know, like just the hammer's about to come down for this guy, and you yeah. just there's just a, there's a sense of dread throughout this whole film. That it's really fascinating too, though, that it's one of those films where you're you're kind of rooting for a piece of shit. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know, what I mean, at, at times you want to see him fall through. At times you want to see you know everything go crashing down. But mm-hmm. yeah, by the end you want to see him win. You're like, all right, I think he's gonna he, he's gonna get this. You know? Oh, for sure. I I think on the second watch. I kind of was not rooting for him as much. Uh, you know, the first time, again, like, you know, you, you typically pull for the main character just because that's what you're used to. But on a, on a second viewing, you kind of just see more and more about how terrible this, this guy is, which is fine. Not every main character has to be, like, a shining beacon. But, um, you know, one, one particular scene that got to me is when Kevin Garnett is calling him out for exploiting those Ethiopian miners like this mm. guy is just um, a user. He uses a lot of people, and uh, you know he maybe you shouldn't be rooting for this guy, which again is fine. Now, Howard is a yeah, piece of was... shit. <laughs> Howard is no, it, it, but there are times where I just wanted, like every decision he makes is the wrong. Or no, he makes the right one and then gets like the universe some decides to mess with him and like you know his brother in law cancels the bet. It's like, oh my god, just end this. Just end this. Give him something. And they don't even and do even, that. Even when something's starting to look like it's going right, you can tell that it's not going to totally end up that way, right? Even the first time I saw this, he wins that first bet. But you can just get a sense, like, this might not totally work out in the end. So when you eventually find out that there was a stop put on that bet, um, you know, it's kind of what you feared would happen, right? You kind of, again, you get a sense that... Um, yeah, every decision he makes, he's going to pay for big time. Do we know the specifics of the two, like, older guys, why they were after him? You remember, like, the, those two gray-haired guys? Oh, the other, not the main enforcers, we're, but there was... Yeah, not the main enforcers, but there, there were those other guys. Because I don't know, I might have missed it, if there was, like, the justification. I mean, I'm guessing it was probably just another bet. Like, they kind of just give you that sense, like, he's just, you know owed to everybody around town kind of thing <laughs> that's what i got i got from it too like you're talking about there's the guy like the shorter guy with like like the balding and he gives yeah him, like, the yeah rolex yeah, yeah i kind of get a sense that he has borrowed from lots of people around and yeah he's a guy who's just i mean i don't know how a person can function like that you constantly owe money to all different kinds of people you're constantly right. juggling all these different things in your life you know you're living a double life can't get out of your own way really yeah yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. You know, very complicated. Which, which not on that level, but I think we can all relate at times. You know what I mean? We we all could. You've had make moments. mistakes and then and then lie in the bed that we make. You know? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. he definitely does that. Uh, I, I one really um, poignant moment in the movie is when in the soundtrack they play uh, the stranger, because in that song, you know, it's about a person who wears all different kinds of masks, and you know Howard wears several. You know, he's leading all different kinds of lives, and you know. Whether it's his family or his girlfriend, no one totally sees all of those different sides to him. So I always love when a, when a music kind of like, you know, captures what a movie's going for in such a perfect way. And, and kudos to the cinematographer too for capturing that like, stre- like 
the headspace of that stress-inducing chaos. Yeah, there's I, a lot from a filmmaking perspective you have to juggle. I mean, it's the kind of movie where there's a lot of people talking over each other, lots of things going on in the background. Um, you know, there is definitely a lot of chaos going on, especially in the jewelry store scenes. And uh, there's definitely a craft to that, to having to balance that all in a way that, um, you know, it could be, again, jarring for a lot of viewers to have so much chaos going on. But you can tell that there's like, um, it's like a controlled chaos from a filmmaking perspective. It's controlled, but re- right. reading the the some of the audience reviews, a lot of them say like, it's just a bunch of people yelling and that turned me off. I'm like, especially <laughs> when they're trying to unlock the door. If you if you're not if you don't know what kind of movie you're expecting, it is just a bunch of people yelling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Isn't that all acting is anyway? <laughs> just a bunch of people yelling. Yeah. Movie would be the first movie to devolve into to a lot of yelling, uh, you know. But like one the one thing I think that really uh, was a little too much for me with the yelling was the scene with the weekend because I think that scene really, you know, when he confronts his girlfriend, then like it is almost like five straight minutes of nonstop shouting. And I think for me at that point, for a second time watching, I'm like, all right, like I, I'm like kind of it's kind of grating on me at this point. Um, so that's kind of that, the pinnacle. That, of that scene for me for the second time watching, I don't know why it it it, it felt like kind of like a scene from like Get Him from the Greek or something. Like it felt like a scene that like I guess it tonally matches, but you could have found a scene like that in in a. Uh, more comedy driven film i feel like yeah i think if you had to maybe um pick a scene like i mean i'm not i like the movie so i don't know if i should say like things need to be cut but yeah that whole the whole point of that scene is to show how his girlfriend he gets mad his girlfriend kicks her out and then you know they're kind of on the outs with each other for like the next you know however many scenes uh which you could have maybe done in a different way but um you know it 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 seemed a little super superfluous for me that scene. Yeah, um, I feel like the I enjoyed the entire movie. Like, so I'm with you. Like, I wouldn't be cutting too much. The only only scene that like bothered me a little bit that I feel like might have been the the separation from it going from Oscar to not Oscar was I don't want to mess up the guy's name or or talk shit on this guy. But Lakeith? it was that once. No, it wasn't. No, I love Lakeith. Um, no, it was it was that scene um, where the guy's going off to, to uh, Adam Sandler in the back, and he's like, "Oh, you've ruined my life! You want to do all that?" As he's like, kind of staring into the opal. You know that oh, scene? I love. I hated that scene. I hated that scene. Uh, and he's, he's not paying attention. Uh, yes, yeah, he's he's zo- he's like zooming out, and the other guy's going on like, "Yeah, you ruined my life. I'm getting out of here. I work, oh, I can, I work I, for I, you for ten years. For my life, I can go anywhere." And he ended yeah, up going. Yeah. Like, he, he ended up going to like across the street. Yeah, that's that's the only scene that I really that I didn't like that much. It just felt like. A little more forced. It felt a little more comic booky than like the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, I think that that's very early on too. I guess you know, they're trying to establish that uh, first of all, he's going to become obsessed with this opal, and second of all, he doesn't really care about other people. Here's a guy you right. say you worked for him for like nine years, and he's like quitting. And Adam, sound, you know, Howard, you couldn't care less. It's like all right, then go. I, well, whatever. <laughs> I got this opal now. Yeah, yeah I'm. Uh... Yes, he told me you were waiting on me, so I'm sorry about that. I'm Howard. You didn't bring him any water? Where is this water? I don't really need water. Thank you This is our own spring water. We're the first on the block to have that. Your parents happy for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I gotta tell you, I'm in a bit of a rush. I'm not much time because I gotta, I gotta get... What did I tell you? I said no water. Can I tell you no water? Uh, I think it's in your best interest that you find some time for you and I. Guess, yeah. uh, there is something so, that yeah. I noticed on this uh, re- uh, rewatch of it that I didn't notice in the first. I really kind of like. I feel like I watched the uh, this movie the first uh, the wrong time. It was around Christmas time. It was like I got the Oscar DVD, like the screener, and I. I feel like this movie is a mood movie. You have to be in a certain mood to dedicate your mm-hmm. time to watch this. Because uh, if you watch it, the, like I knew I was watching a good movie, but when everyone was praising it, I, 
I kind of like took a step back just because I maybe I didn't see the brilliance at its as uh, or what the movie was trying to do at the time. I watched it like, you know, you know, just coffee and there's snow on the ground and I watched it at the wrong time. But the uh, the one th- this movie kind of takes uh, at least with in regards to the opal. It reminded me of like a like a fable or a myth, like how the opal has this effect. This I'm not saying it went into like supernatural or paranormal or any, but the way they talk about like the way Kevin Garnett is just like I need this in my life. I I saw the universe, and it in, and like uh, you know the themes of greed and like it just I I got that effect from it. Did I, am I alone in that? It kind of reminded me. I mean, I very different tonally, but it kind of like just you talking there reminded me of Space Jam in a way. And it's and it's interesting that like yeah all the you know some of the best basketball movies involve some magic. <laughs> that's, that's funny, man. I wasn't um, thinking that. I was thinking more like if any, <laughs> if you ever read in high school John Steinbeck's The Pearl. This guy finds a pearl and everyone he shows it to is just like oh my god. This is like I will I'm willing to kill for this pearl which will make me a lot of money or I see the universe in this item. Well, there is a line that someone has that when you look into the opal, you can see all the colors of the universe. Right? There's, there's, there's something to be spoken about that. And I never really, you know, had heard of or knew anything about black opals, right? Like when you think of the most priceless gems in the world, you think of like, you know, rubies and emeralds and stuff. I don't think, you know, opals don't really sound as like flashy or anything. So that's an interesting choice. Um, but then there's that really trippy moment when Kevin Garnett first looks into the opal and it's like he sees his whole life and it, it's like really trippy. And that also is kind of out of tone with the rest of the movie. Not not in a negative way, but like you don't really have really any other kind of moments like that. Out of tone um, in the way that the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, it's kind of has that like mystery to it. Yeah. I would say maybe not supernatural, but there's like a mysticism. That's there. it. Yeah. That's it. And uh, yeah, you can tell that the opal has maybe some sort of power, but also I think the opal, yeah, maybe you could say the opal is like cursed or something just because it was um, obtained through like blood and exploitation. So, you know, maybe by having this, I mean, it's good luck for Kevin Garnett, I guess, because, you know, he, he does well when he has it, but for Howard, just the whole, you know, his whole venture with this opal is just so disastrous and maybe just deservedly so just from the way he obtained it. A modern day folktale. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's you know going to be a lot of focus. Obviously, this is like Adam Sandler's performance in this, uh, but you know, he is surrounded by like some really uh, you know interesting performances. And we we mentioned him a couple of times, but like Keith Sandfield in yeah. this movie, he has this is an actor who just has an amazing track record over the last several years. I mean, he's just appearing in just one great project after another. I mean, um, you know, from Get Out to Atlanta. Uh, to uh, what I saw recently for the first time, uh, Sorry to Bother You, Excellent. which was oh, yeah. great. a wild, wild ride. Yeah, wait, <laughs> that takes a sharp left turn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I loved it. You know, I want more movies that are just, like, going out there. Um, and then even just minor appearances, like he had a small role in Knives Out. Um, but just one great script after another. Like, I don't know, maybe he's just an amazing manager or whatever, but he's, you know, he's he's great. In, in this just constantly like one of those actors who is um, kind of like uh, like a shapeshifter in a way you know mm-hmm. he, he plays all these different parts and he fit into and the he world. plays them very he plays them very real and very subtle yeah you know what I mean like you don't see him go over the top he doesn't overact too much like mm-hmm. which I love I think he's an incredible actor he really yeah. lives in the worlds of the films that he's in so like in this in this movie for example you know like we, there's a lot of grit in this movie and you know, it's kind of like an interesting dichotomy between this very like flashy jewelry store and then like these very kind of seedy characters that come in and out of it. Um, and yeah, he's to be honest, though, I, I will tell you from from knowing some people who run jewelry stores, that's not too far off. Yeah, I, that's not too far off. I, I, be I believe it. There's an authenticity <laughs> to it. Right. Um, and some of these sort of back operations. Right. Like, so the, 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 the character like Keith plays, he um, basically like helps bring in clients for Howard. Uh, but like 
he 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 takes I don't know they, they have some sort of like weird like under the table deal right like he helped right. you know with or they're helping each other and it's like this uneasy sort of you know um, arrangement that they have because uh, definitely they seem to almost be trying to exploit each other in different ways. <laughs> quite uh, a so partnership. He's really great. <laughs> Kevin uh, Garnett yeah. was also quite like. For, you know, like, Kevin Garnett, I, I never really knew much about Kevin Garnett. I had heard of him. Uh, you know, I, I know a little bit about basketball, but uh, yeah, he also was just um, living in this in this movie, and I totally bought every moment from him. So, uh, you know, not it, maybe... It guy- makes mm-hmm. it makes so much sense. He is, like, when you see him from a basketball perspective, he's just the most committed, focused person you'll ever see on a court. Mm-hmm. Like, before every game, like you would see him just in his head, like in his head, punching, you know, punching stuff, just really pumping himself up. So to me, it it, it translates like, which is interesting because sometimes athletes acting is not so good, mm-hmm. but he, he was great. I thought he killed it. I yeah. think definitely this, he's very committed. I think this movie is like the definitive, like you can see what the Safdie brothers like and what they're influenced by. Basketball, yeah. Martin Scorsese's New York movies. Uh, I I, uh, I read that they uh, someone in their family. I I want to say grandfather grew up like was in the Diamond District, on who they based their character, or at least that world of. But like, this is based off like real basketball. Like they they centered it around like real basketball games. They used real footage from like the 2012 NBA playoffs right it was like the um, yeah. second round boston philadelphia so that was kind of interesting like mixing like reality with with you know like playing the fiction around this like real event that happened because uh, i guess if you know your nba history really well you might know ahead of time that like they win that game at the end right so like yeah. I, I i i didn't really remember specifically like whatever it was game six of the second yeah, round of, of 2012 I, yeah i wasn't <laughs> Even me, I, and I, I watched a lot of basketball. I, I did not, I didn't remember when I first watched right. it. Right, you could easily, I guess, maybe like if you want to ease your anxiety, look it up real quick, you know, while you're watching <laughs> it. But don't, uh, you know. So, but maybe like there's some someone with an encyclopedic knowledge of NBA history who might know already. Like, okay, well, I know they win this game, so I don't have to be worried for them. I found the the whole gambling aspect of this movie really interesting because. Around when I was watching it was uh, when I first saw it was uh, legalized gambling in New Jersey. So I got into that rabbit hole a little bit myself where like, you know, I, I, I first won on a Super Bowl bet, right? Five bucks <laughs> gets it. Fi- literally, <clears throat> excuse me, five bucks gets me $500 on a Super Bowl bet. So, you know, oh. they hook you, hook you in on, on something where it's like, oh, this is incredible. <laughs> so easy. Yeah, and then uh, you know, and it was fun, and and for the most part, like I I wasn't like draining, losing a, a ton of money or anything, but I knew I had to get out. <clears throat> I knew I had to get out of it when um, it was like three in the morning, and I'm like on my phone looking at like tennis in Thailand, you know what I mean? <laughs> Dang, and I'm like, you know, betting on some guy like Slurgan Blomdoskovich, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to win. That guy who I've never seen this in my life. I read I one article. This is how <laughs> yeah, I win. This is how I win. Exactly. And then that's when I was like, all right, this is this is getting a little silly, but yeah, it, <laughs> it just shows methodical. you like how that world can, it shows you, yeah, like how deep you can get into that world. Just well. Seems, wrapped into seems it. like the powers that be that run that world that's what they want you know people to get totally mm-hmm. sucked in and obsessed and that definitely is something that i you know um they they capture that with howard how he is so in deep and just how his mind works you know it captures the mind of a gambling addict so well that when he's making these very bad decisions you can see the rationale in his head even though you don't agree with it you could you could just pay off his debt and be in the clear, but he sees this opportunity to do this three-way parlay and really get a big win. And for him, it's all about the win. I don't even think he cares about losing money, making money. He really is just in it for, like, the thrill, which is the ultimate. Oh, and, the, and the parlays, too, man. Those are just... I didn't know about <laughs> parlays, really, until watching this movie. I looked into it, and I'm like, oh, okay, there are all these conditions that have to be met. Yeah. But... Because it's so specific, there's a big payoff. 
but how specific even the very beginning if they don't win the tip off you lose right yeah no there, there are some parlays and yeah that's when i was getting in deep myself when i was doing all these but i didn't do it as crazy as his like his the fact that it was like the tip is insane which you can bet on that if you go on any of the apps you can bet on the opening tip you can bet on who scores the first basket yeah any aspect of the <laughs> like, game really should be up for a bet i suppose especially if you're doing these sort of parlays which, which again is so deep if you want to say you can maybe bet on who's who gets like fouled out first or something you can bet on right. so many in any sport really again you can you know, take any specific aspect of the game and that is uh, again taking maybe a, a sport that maybe never intended for people to bet on such specific aspects of it uh yeah you know oh and it's and it's insane when you when you get to like the sixth uh, game out of the parlays of seven, let's say. Mm-hmm. Oh man! And then you bet on the Knicks like an idiot because you're like, oh, that's where I'm going to get the money. And then, <laughs> then it all just goes, you know, down the toilet. That's mm-hmm. that's rough. <laughs> yeah the the whole the whole and I, you also have to, I suppose, know certain people. Like he he goes to Mike Francesca of all yeah. people who <laughs> I, I doubt he's playing. Himself, who I'm guessing isn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he goes to Mike Francesca's character and. He's like in the back of a restaurant and he is, I guess anyone who goes up to him and says, oh, I have a bet I want to make da da da. And it's on his books. He's a bookie. And you just have to know where to find him and when you can you know, make these bets and he'll accept them, which again is such like an underground network that you have to really been doing this for a long time to know who to go to and you right. know like what the whole etiquette is. Well, he's definitely been so, doing yeah, it a so- long time because like I was just looking at how his family views him. Like his, mm-hmm. uh, you know, De- Adele Dazim, like she, <laughs> yeah. she is completely done with him. She sees him as like more or less a, like a, a nuisance joke. I th- like, I kept asking myself, like knowing what, knowing the ending, I kept asking like, will people miss him when he's gone? Like, will, okay. Like after they get. Maybe but, his sons. I would think I, maybe his sons who somewhat like him are the only characters to really I would say when his son went of... up when his son went to the hotel there was like that big and he found out like his dad's been cheating on his mom yeah. I would say like there was a disillusionment like oh this is kind of who my mm. dad is like why can't I use the bathroom more like there was a little we- yeah. like and his, yeah, but his, that his scene older son made me did... hate Howard the most yeah, I <laughs> Oh right. God! What, like, what's like, the, how uncomfortable is that to like knock on random people's doors? Like, can my son uh, use your bathroom because I don't want him going in mine? I, I've been in my apartment for five years, and I, I the thought of even knocking on them and asking for like milk or whatever sugar is insane. Yeah, that that was and what a bizarre cameo they get the dad from. What was it Good Time? That was actually him. <laughs> That was actually that was really him. him. <laughs> what? <laughs> Look, this guy used to be on a sitcom, and it's really him. Like, what? <laughs> and just for the guy to appear and say no, and then close his door. <laughs> well, uh, sp- that felt very Adam Sandler, like not in wink kind of joke right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that well, was some, like maybe dark humor at that point, or it's just twisted humor. Like, here's this guy. Before I forget, uh, and uh, this, I saw this in the credits, and I know the next time I watch this movie, I'll definitely have it keep an eye out for it but natasha leone and tilda swin make voice cameos in this movie and i did not know that i recognize tilda swinton's voice i, I think that's not. more recognizable when she's on the phone in the auction house lobby and he's on the phone with the manager of the auction i'd recognize that voice i'm like that sounds like tilda swinton uh but natasha leone i didn't catch her i i might have to go back and look at that scene she was the 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 person who uh, like he calls for, like I have a problem with one of your players, and she's like, "Sir, you're being quite an asshole." Oh, uh, she's like she's when he's in his own office, Howard. He's yeah, calling, trying to call Kevin Garnett's uh, manager. The manager, right? yeah. And he's threatening. He's making threats, and then he's like, "Ah, forget it. Never mind." When Kevin Garnett shows up, I, okay. I, I, you know, I, I, I just thought he was talking to some British lady. Uh, no, but like. That must Do all mean, British women sound the same to you, Keith? <laughs> God. That just shows how great of a movie Good Time was, that people just wanted to work like on this movie. Yeah, you know, I, I saw Good Time a few years ago, and then I didn't realize until after watching it for the first time that it's the same directors, but I should have realized because they oh, both give you the same sisters. sense of... 
anxiety. Yeah, they they could be like companion pieces. And what these guys are doing with both these films have created two movies where you truly could not see what was going to happen. And I think that's a huge accomplishment in this day and age to tell a story that audiences cannot predict where it's going. Because I feel like these movies have such a great sense of realism and um, I want to say sloppiness, but not in terms of like bad filmmaking, but just in terms of things going wrong and, you know, from bad to worse and the characters and everything. Like It's not you don't have like these super calculated stories, just things aren't happening naturally. And so you don't know where it could lead to. And the characters are making such terrible choices. So I really commend them for that. And, uh, yeah, it, it, again, it's hard to, you know, in this day and age, as experienced filmgoers watch something and truly not be able to predict what might happen. Is uh, I haven't seen uh, what was the other movie called? Good time, good time, good time, right? good time. I love that. I like. Was that was that their their debut? The Safdie brothers, like their. I would their say first mainstream film? debut. They did like yeah, an yeah. indie, right. and Robert Patterson saw that and, at like a festival and wanted to work with them. And Good Time, which I also believe is on Netflix at the moment. That's like yes. that's what made me go like, oh, Robert Patterson's a really good actor, and mm-hmm. he has taken some very interesting roles since. But it's they're very much like. You'll see the same type of filmmaking and storytelling, and it's just a it's a completely different story, but still engaging. Yeah, d- very different story, but you kind of get similar feelings of like, oh no, what are they doing? Like, what's happening now? <laughs> Without going so too much into in chaos. It. Without going, yeah, it, with, like it's just like uh, you're rooting for someone you shouldn't be rooting for, but it's mm-hmm. you're happy. You're happy. You're. you're Surprised that you're happy that they when they have success. <laughs> I'll right. say you that feel, you you like feel their highs and you feel their lows, uh, you know, as as it's happening. And again, like both movies too, I think part of the uh, sense of realism is just some of these minor characters that they cast actors for just don't even feel like actors. Sometimes it just feels like people they're pulling in from the street. Again, like they have the the other bookies or the you know the the bald guy that they give the fake Rolex. To. It just feels like just a guy that you found off the streets in New York. It's like, hey, like, just read some of these lines. Is this really an actor or just some sort of weirdo that they found? I totally buy it. Yeah, that guy's probably been in the game for like 20 years. (laughs) I need this role, man. I need this role. (laughs) That's history right there. You understand? How many carrots is this? What, four, five thousand carrots? Three thousand dollars a carrot? I'm not... Why has it got so many colors in it, man? What is this? That's the thing. They say you can see the whole universe in Opals. That's how f***ing old they are. Holy I've been telling you. That's why I'm wanting you to see it. I gotta have Your app's crazy, man. From stone to stone. Garnet to stone. You know that. That's a million dollar Opal you hold. Straight from the Ethiopian Jewish tribe. I mean, this is old school. Middle Earth Dinosaur Dinosaurs, that's right. The dinosaurs were stared at this. It's 110 years old. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but we mentioned, uh, you know, Adele Dazim, uh, Adina Menzel. And an interesting choice, too, because when you think of Adina Menzel, you think of, you know, musicals and, you know, these, like, happy things. And she's in this really, uh, you know, intense movie playing someone who's, like, truly bitter towards her husband. You, you, you feel that. You, you feel her, her anger From the first you, time you see her. <laughs> yeah, just she every time that she's on screen, I think every scene she's in, you know, Adam Sandler's in, because he's in every scene, she just, she just can't stand his presence. You just feel this, yeah. uh, you know, resentment that she has for him. Like, she regrets even, like, being with him in the first place. That, that made me wonder, like, what did she find, like, endearing about him to even get in the relationship but that's probably looking too deep <laughs> well i even was curious what his girlfriend who works in his store sees in him because she seems to right. be like very persistent in being with him and staying with him and maybe it's for his money i don't know but she really seems to want to do a lot for him she got a tattoo she got a tattoo and she's the one who goes back to him and wants to help out with him and you know do all these things for him and I'm thinking, what does she see in this guy? But, I, you know, I guess like real life, you know, we see couples like that all the time. <laughs> where you go, what do they see in that person? No, sure, but the, sure. the family, doing? The, uh, her family loved him, like, loves him. Judd Hirsch, uh, except for the brother-in-law. Oh. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> there must have been something for him to lend him money. 
Uh, right. Like Judge Hirsch, Judd Hirsch's character does him the favor. And that, that to me maybe is the most anxiety inducing scene, except for the, the climax when, you know, the two guys, they're, they're all locked in the doors there. But bes- before that, they had the scene of the auction. And again, you just know it's not going to work out. He has this insane plan to <laughs> drive up the bid and you just know it's not going to work out and you're just dreading it the whole time. And again, when, when it doesn't work out, it's like just um, the floor gets pulled out from underneath you. Cause this poor guy, like what, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars he has to pay now. And Howard's like, I'll wire it back to you. But you know, that's, that's still like a horrible thing to do to somebody. Yeah. It's also just like an interesting scene too, because it's like the greed just keeps pushing them a little and little further up, little further up, little further up until mm-hmm. it's like, Nope. Yeah, he just that's ten grand too far, just, man. <laughs> just went too much on that. Uh, yeah, cause you get his like he he has the appraisal in the beginning, which I need to like look into a little more. That the opal's gonna be worth like millions of dollars, but everyone afterwards tells him like, yeah, it's not really worth that much at all. So you maybe feel like he's been bamboozled a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Or he just is so delusioned that like in his head, that was the only way to make things work. So he just. Mm-hmm you know came up with his own numbers yeah that, that that's probably it uh he's because he's a very like delusional character uh and then yeah then there's the whole plot twist right is it more of a twist that the guy who owes who he owes money to this arnold character is his brother-in-law like they're they're technically family yeah that you learn at the passover scene <laughs> interesting oh, that, twist yeah, that just makes me hate once again what's your scene that makes you hate howard the most <laughs> Because that's the money he spent on the opal. Oh, okay. I, I, at least I believe. Like he, he, uh, the opal was a hundred thousand dollars, and that's the same money that he used to get uh, that that he took from Arno. Right. Um, yeah. There, there, you can like you know, take your pick. I think the first uh, choice that this guy makes, Howard, that truly made me think, oh my god, this guy's going to be a disaster, is when he pawns. Kevin Garnett's oh, ring, God. which I thought yeah. was absolutely insane. Could you imagine reading some story online about like some athlete, some famous athlete's championship ring getting like pawned to somebody and he doesn't have it anymore? That's I was outrageous. I'm like, how 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 is this gonna work out for this guy? This is all gonna blow up in his face big time. Yeah, there's there has been some crazy stories about championship rings though. There has been like True. people going into hotel rooms and stealing rings and all types of crazy stuff trying to pawn them off. So mm-hmm. again, I'd really be interested in learning more about the the Safdie brothers because they they have to have some kind of connection, you know, to these industries to know some of the specifics. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I think um, yeah, Keith, you mentioned reading about how they brought so much of you know what they know to this particular film. Uh, you know, like, cause I, I read something too, I think on the ringer about how they, they grew up being Knicks fans and they kind of right. compared being Knicks fans to like the, the, like, I don't know, Jewish struggle or something. There's a lot of suffering involved in being like a Knicks fan. And I guess like in New York city, you kind of get a sense in this movie too, that like there's, um, I don't know, like a portion of the Knicks fan base that's like part of like this, like New York Jewish community. And they all pull for the Knicks, no matter how futile it might seem. Um, you know, so there's there's definitely some personal, especially that Passover scene. You get some, I don't know, sort of like personal scenes into, um, you know, what you feel like is things that they grew up with and are so familiar with. And it feels almost intimate. I, I, that and I would put I think this movie belongs in like the character, uh, like antihero character in New York movie Epsilon with like you could see with like Taxi Driver I definitely after hours if like that's an underrated Martin Scorsese 80 movie that's more of a, a like a, a romp if anything but the a, a series of unfortunate events to this one character uh and you could just see the influ- the neon the like the music mm-hmm. just ev- the, I think yeah this movie is definitely their most personal I I like what you say after hours it feels almost like midnight cinema in a way and uh, it also how you mentioned Martin Scorsese because I believe he was a producer on this, an executive producer, or somehow helped, you know, get this project, um, or somehow was involved. Uh, but 
yes, Taxi Driver 2, these, these are like character studies, right? These are movies about people that you don't necessarily like or even in hindsight should be rooting for. But you're, it's people that um, you don't encounter in everyday life. And that's, that's also the magic of film, just learning about people you don't normally see or even want to be associated with and just seeing what their take on the world is and how they handle these, you know, how, how they handle their lives and how they run it and how disastrous it can be. So, uh, again, you don't have to like a main character to like a film. That's, but a lot of audiences are conditioned to do so, which is why I think so many were turned off. Do you think uh, Adam Sandler should have been in the uh, best actor conversation back then? Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I know, like, Joaquin was like the, um, what is it, all the rage for his performance in The Joker. And, you know, for the record... I don't really care for the Joker personally. So I would be Damn, like, did you do that divided film? Maybe we'll do it. I, I, I you guys got to do that. Divided debate. It would be a divided yeah, debate. I think so. Um, but I, I think, you know, Joker got all the press because again, it's like a flashy character that we all know and familiar with and, you know, uncut gems. I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the Safdie brothers yet. Cause they only had one prior mainstream film, so to speak. Uh, and you know this is this is like doing a lot of things that it's the kind of movie that needs more time i think uh Mm -hmm. you know like taxi driver i think also was very mixed reception when it first came out because it it was a lot for people it it, there's you know there's a lot of mixed morals in the film by the characters not necessarily by the filmmakers so i think down the line hopefully people can appreciate more what this movie's doing and um, it could be like up there with like the taxi drivers. I yeah, I think I think some people probably you know bowed out for the violence. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just don't like <clears throat> seeing movies that get violent. Like my girlfriend being one of them. Excuse me. <clears throat> no, that's true. Like uh, there's definitely a lot of um, and like not like again movie flashy violence. It's more like that gritty violence. People getting beat up a lot. Right. It it could be it could be very uh, off putting at first, but when you're striving for realism, right? Yeah, you know, that that's the kind of thing you're going to get things that aren't unpleasant because real life violence is not pleasant. When it yeah, when it exactly when it came to the Oscar nominations, at least with like the 2019 Best Actor category, I always say like it you know there's going to be people that get in, people that should be in, people that shouldn't. I always say once you get it, like you have a one in five chance of being. Uh, deserving of the award as the next guy I, and maybe Adam Sandler was number six or seventh in line but then I read they always like to release like anonymous academy voter interviews and okay. what made me upset was like they didn't vote for Adam Sandler and I'm happy he's been getting praise like I think he won best actor at the independent <laughs> spirit awards and he got praise I'm happy he got uh like accolades at the places that he did. But what this one mm-hmm. person said is like, Adam Sandler is a comedic actor and we don't want to like legitimize up like it kind of like stay in, stay in his lane. And granted well, Adam Sandler likes to stay in his lane and cause he, and sure. people like, he's always going to make these kind of movies and he has fun doing it with his friends. But that that's so discouraging as like, Oh, anytime that Jim Carrey, or Adam Sandler or any other comedic actor steps into a challenging dramatic role just because they're a comedic actor they're not they don't deserve that kind of praise it was very insulting why he didn't get well, nominated it's, it's really yeah it's a very simple-minded kind of idea of like well he's funny he can't possibly be a good dramatic exactly. actor exactly it's like oh he's funny I, I find, and I, he should just stay mm-hmm. funny i find that ironic uh because usually, from what I've seen, comedic actors have a much easier time transitioning into dramatic roles than dramatic actors do trying to do something funny, right? right. Uh, so if anything, I find comedic actors to be more versatile. And then second of all, it also goes to show how political the Academy Awards are. I mean, we all knew this already, but that just sort of hammers that in even more. Like, oh, well, yeah, we only want a certain kind of actor to be nominated in the category. I mean, I, I was just quickly looking up who else was nominated that year. Again, Joaquin Phoenix winning for the Joker, but you have um, Antonio Banderas being nominated for pain and glory, which I don't remember that movie at all. 
Leo for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, sure. Adam Driver for Marriage Story, and then Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. They like what they like. They know it. Like I, I'm not saying these are bad performances. I actually did watch Love and Glory, and it is like a good. It's a Spanish film. It's a personal. I don't want, look. We're not going to get into Pain and Glory, but it's it's. You know, when you see the nominations, you go, "Oh, Adam Sandler must have been like sixth or seventh, like because that was mm-hmm. a very like 2019 was a great year for film and performances, but then they release like these anonymous Academy voter interviews of why it's the same reason why they didn't go for Jennifer Lopez. It's like Jennifer Lopez is a performer. Like we're not going to nominate her for the hustlers. Like, like, so, so what, wait, it would have been Oscars. It would, sorry, it would have been Oscars 2019, right? Yes. Yeah. The, uh, 2020, 2020 ceremony honoring the 2019 films. Yeah. The movie where parasite won and like that, I think it was that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Right. But, I it's, mean, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these ceremonies come down to campaigning, right? So whoever was campaigning for these other films must have just, I guess, worked on the people, the powers that be better than the people campaigning for Uncut Gems, I suppose. But I agree 100% with you, JJ, that I think uh, time, we've discussed that time is the best critic of them all. And I think a movie mm-hmm. like Uncut Gems will... I don't want to say it'll enjoy cult status. It might. I can like, I could see this movie is not for everyone. In the same way that the king, uh, oh, uh, the king of New, uh, king of comedy, kings of comedy, the mm-hmm. the Martin Scorsese, uh, Robert De Niro flick, also like in New York, like it's involved. What Joker was inspired by? How that. That would have if we had this podcast in the eighties. That would have been on the list. It was very divided. Critics went it would for have been it. The first audi- podcast of all time, <laughs> and we would have been ha- we would have had different hairstyles and different clothes. But it's uh, I think now twenty forty uh, thirty forty years later, it's achieved like this. You know, people the people who are inspired by it are now making movies, and I think you'll see. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will come back to Uncut Gents. It's just going to get better the more the more people mm-hmm. want to watch it. Well, what I really respect too about this movie is that it sticks with you. I mean, particularly for me, the ending really stuck with me. I thought, like, the last 20 minutes are such an adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, spoiler alert, when uh, Howard is killed, I thought that was, like, one of the most shocking things I've seen in a movie in, like, the last several years. I, I like, literally stood up from my couch in shock. I thought, like, the floor had just been pulled from underneath me. And that feeling lingered for, like, hours after watching this movie. You know, it was just a rush. Uh, so it's yeah. there's an immediate like resonance that sticks with you, and then I just thought about it for days after. So this movie, whether you love it or hate it, it definitely generates a response, and that's my favorite kind of movie in a way. You know, even if you hated it, it made you feel something, and that's what movies should do. Yeah, that was just utter shock for like a good hour or so after that film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I had to like read about it online. Like, what do other people think about this? And I just wanted to immediately talk about this movie after seeing it. Let's see what Vegas, what has Vegas got you guys at today? Take a look. Let's see. Are you, are you serious? You're going to put this up right here? Look at this shit. The Sixers are supposed to win the game tonight, they think. We don't keep track of none of that shit. Who they think a- on game seven you're not going to get fucking 18 points. They don't think you're going to get eight rebounds? These guys don't know shit about that. What the fuck are they doing? Doesn't that make you want to fucking kill them? Doesn't that make you want to say, fuck you for doubting me? Doesn't that make you want to step on fucking Elton Brand's fucking neck? Come on, KG. This is no different than that. This is me. All right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my fucking way. This is how I win. <laughs> oh, but uh, I'm just reading. There was one review, uh, like, uh, audience review that kind of captured uh this uh, oh uncut gems is truly an artistic masterpiece and speaks to the power of directors to tell a story and evoke their audience certain feelings in this case the directors wanted to inflict pain upon their audience keep them in a state of anxiety and take from them any semblance of satisfaction in this movie it was a master stroke of filmmaking as they successfully distilled what makes movies appealing and created an anti-movie and i despise them for it i don't think the directors would be dissatisfied with the fact that i despise it 
In fact, I think they would relish it. It is highbrow and artistic, but part of the art is the reaction of the audience and their dissatisfaction, and I frankly hate them for it. This wasn't what I wanted to see and wasn't worth the time I put into because all I did was play into the director's sadistic hands. My hatred of this has gone so far that I will never watch anything by these directors again. They have broken my trust as a member of the audience, and that will never be restored. This movie was awful to watch in the most malicious and intentional way. I like to think that's a good review. <laughs> I like to think that's the review that they – He does call it a masterpiece. Like, like that's, such, uh, that's such an interesting review because I think he does capture – aside from the people going, I wanted a comedy. I wanted an Adam Sandler comedy. I think that review captures why people didn't like this movie. I would, I would argue against this movie reviewer, whoever they are, that this movie is not malicious because at the end of the day, Howard pays – for all the terrible decisions he makes and for his selfishness in the ultimate way with his life. So I think this movie, if anything, is, um, you know, I think this movie is punishing a character for what they're doing and in that sense takes a moral stance against this kind of behavior. And it's like a cautionary tale almost in a way. Uh, I don't think it's malicious. Uh, that Like, what does that even mean? I'm trying to think of a movie that I would describe as malicious. I don't even know. That's that's like a really extreme take on it. But hey, this person had that reaction and that's no, that that's interesting. Oh, I think I, I think that's oh sorry Sean. Go. No, I was just going to say I I think this person probably doesn't enjoy a lot of entertainment because a lot of entertainment is kind of manipulating the viewer, especially comedy. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. You're you're manipulating the audience in a way to think a certain way and then go in another way, which makes it funny. You know what I mean? Like that's a really good point. Movies, all movies, manipulate you to feel something, whether right. you're trying to feel afraid or feeling sad, happy, romantic. Movies do a lot of things to manipulate you that people don't realize. I mean, music in a way manipulates the audience and trying to tell them how to feel. Uh, right. you know, I mean, I could I could see though for some people, you know, if you if if you're really high strung or whatever, like, you know, I don't want to sit down and watch a movie that's going to make me feel more anxious. Some people want to just watch something to take them away from it. Have, yeah, have sure. you have you guys ever met the person who's like, oh, I don't like cringe comedy? Oh yeah, I, like it, it's comedy, kind of like an extreme version of this movie. Like it, like it's like if people do not like this kind of movie, they're not going to like this movie. Yeah, cringe comedy is something that took me a really long time to get around to, right? Like, for the longest time, I couldn't watch, like, Meet the Parents or something. Uh, but I think when you take a step back, you can appreciate something. You know, in the, I can understand the moment with a lot of movies when you're living in them and you're really invested. It can be kind of tough to watch certain movies like this. But when you kind of maybe watch it more objectively, you can appreciate what they're doing more and maybe, like, take a step back and not take things so seriously. Um, when it came you know, to the negative reviews that I've that I was reading about this, like you know, people are just like, "This movie's dog shit. The acting's bad. The writing's bad. The oh, you the, know, it's a I'm really not bizarre... laughing." He kind, this guy kind of explained it. It's just like I saw what the directors were doing and I didn't like it. <laughs> you didn't agree with them. That's fine. You don't have to agree with them. Which, in Again, course, is like res- it's a flip a side of a positive review. Yeah, he had a response that wasn't meh, and that's I think yeah, that's, that's a what valid. Can, that's what you that's can hope valid. For. You know what's a really bizarre comment I saw in some of these audience reviews? Uh, one person said there was no star power, which is a really weird bar <laughs> to hold a movie up to. Uh, I mean, you have Adam. Also, S- apparently, Adam Sandler is uh, not, not a star. Not a star. But I guess <laughs> the other actors, you know, I get like Lakeith Stanfield is someone you recognize, but maybe like it's not a huge star by some standards. Uh, but what like a weird... I don't know I don't know if more star power would have helped this movie. No, yeah. I don't think that would have, I just, that might have I detracted agree. because this movie is striving for realism and if you're gonna load it with a bunch of Hollywood stars, that might be a distraction. And like like we even said, like, oh yeah, in the bookie, Mike Francesca Mike Francesca, like we cause it kind of we saw him in a different light. Right. You know what I mean? Like I thought was, I don't know. I didn't realize Mike Francesca could act. <laughs> Usually he's just yelling at fans on the radio uh, <laughs> for their opinions. But now, you know, he's acting in this movie and I, yeah, he did it. he was only in it for a snippet, just the right amount of time. And uh yeah, he did well. Uh, but yeah, star power. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Go watch Ocean's 11 like if that's what you want. 
Uh, so yeah, some of the reviews sometimes, man, they're just like people just it's their own expectations. It's their own expectations, yeah. and then they're not being met. So then they get you know their opinion on it, and then it's put on the internet for everybody to see. Yeah, it's just, expectations definitely influence people's reactions overall. Like you go into it maybe wanting something specifically in it based on what you've seen before. But I, I maybe I need to go back and watch the trailer for Uncut Gems and see if it misled people. I doubt it did. I feel like no. any any sort of like scene from this movie that you watch would give you definitely an idea of what you're in for. It's kind of. I remember the trailer. It's like you're you're gonna get you know the tone that you're gonna get, but not the yes, not the not the experience that you're gonna get. I'm. I would love to see data, and I know it's like impossible. But I, like the people who saw it in the theaters, as opposed to the people who saw it in the at their in their homes. Like if you mm-hmm. saw it in the theaters, you're fully engaged. Like you're fully. I engaged. wish I saw like it. You're I, like you're gonna I wish either I love theater. it or hate it, and that's the yeah. reaction that that leads to a divided film. But if you're seeing it at home, you do have a chance to go. What the hell is this? What is mm-hmm. like what is, what is this red box shit? Like this is just people yelling and you're looking at your phone, you're automatically bored, you're missing, you're missing Tilda Swinton spe- like it, you're missing a lot of the like I I threw my phone across the room onto another couch and just like was fully engaged Zoned this in. time as opposed to being like you know watching it with family, there's snowing outside. I I will admit I wasn't engaged the first time. I wish I saw this in theaters because i imagine especially at the end when howard's killed there must have ignited a huge response from Mm -hmm. the viewers uh at that time i can imagine a whole auditorium people going oh like in shock (laughs) i live for that that's like some of the best moments of being in a movie theater is when everyone has such strong reaction to something you know happy or sad you know it's this like communal feeling with all these strangers i saw it at home and yeah, I was uh, yeah maybe once or twice as one does in this day and age. Like you know maybe I looked at my phone once or twice, but I feel like I was pretty engaged watching this because I knew it was the kind of movie that you really should be uh, giving all your attention to. That's that's another thing I wonder if like certain people who are reviewing movies are on their phone half the time and doing all this other crap, and then like sending out this whole review and it's like you barely even watched it. You barely even gave it a chance. Yeah, did you really give it a fair shot? It's, it's hard to tell sometimes. That's also a review in and of itself. Like, how many of us have seen, like, a mediocre movie uh, at home? And, like, the minute you go on your phone or laptop, you're like, I think you're kind of saying something about the movie itself. Yes. But I, I think if anybody in this for this movie were to look at their phone or something, it might be just to, like, breathe. Cause <laughs> That's a good point. There are times... I think especially when you get to uh, you know, halfway through or two-thirds through and the movie's energy is so unrelenting, it can be exhausting. I don't think it's the kind of movie that you would rewatch like twice within like a few weeks. You, know, you watch it once and then maybe get back to it like oh, you know, far in the future. You know, just, it's, it's like um, you know, almost like a Requiem for a Dream in a way. You, know, you watch it, you take it in. But you know, maybe not go back to it for a, a long time. Uh, Rec- Requiem for a Dream is like a movie I wa- I only seen once, and I'm like, I don't need to see that for at least like another 25 years. Like, it's a good That's movie. That's more extreme. It's a good yeah. movie, but it's a heavy movie. Requiem maybe once every 20 years. Uncut Gems maybe like like once uh, every like year or two. You do have to be in a certain mood. Like it's it's like uh, I, it, even though it's not a three hour movie I think with like three hour movies you kind of have to like set some time in your day to like, say I'm going to watch Blade Runner 2049 like I you have to be in a certain kind of movie to... this is the kind of movie I would like to sit in with someone who hasn't seen it and to watch their reactions especially at the end uh, just because again any, any kind of movie that's doing things different that you know, has such like a surprise it's always kind of fun to see how someone else you know takes that in um so sean did you watch this with Lindsay by any chance no she she refuses to watch movies like that okay that's a good excellent point she knows what she likes yeah she yeah she she just likes to keep it light when it comes to that kind of stuff yeah um you know like if i'm gonna watch any kind of like messed up documentary or something that's about like crazy things going on in the world Mm -hmm. 
those are usually solo viewings because I know she's just, you know, she's a yoga teacher. She doesn't want that bum out shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, fair. Like we said that's more this than movie. Fair. We did say this movie is, is not for everyone, but not every movie should be. Right, I agree. I think that- oh yeah, and and from my perspective, yeah, like it goes back to the like making your audience uncomfortable. Like I I love that kind of shit. I love making the audience feel something. This movie, you know? like, this movie gets them. an A plus in that. Yeah, right. I think I think there should be you shouldn't lose films that challenge people and and you know, make them question certain things or you know give them like a roller coaster. That that's an experience. That's um you know that that even if it's a reaction they didn't want. You're, you're feeling something that you that you normally don't and that's that's part of the magic of movies is bringing you places that you wouldn't normally go I made a crazy risk to gamble and it's about to pay off so I want the Celtics to cover I want the Celtics halftime I want Garnett points and rebounds what do you know I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I think we can now uh, get into our final thoughts on Uncut Gems and give our final uh, like percentage scores. And I think we know where we're going to land between audience and critics, but we'll just make it official. So, Sean, we'll start off with you. Yeah, final thoughts on Uncut Gems and your score. I think it's a brilliant movie. I think uh, it's a tour de force for Adam Sandler. It I just wanted to use tour de force. Yeah, we have tour, de force. <laughs> tour de force. No, but I, I really do. I think it's a brilliant movie. I think, uh, you know, it, it's high stakes the whole time. Uh-huh. And, and I love that kind of stuff. I love the thriller aspects um, and the basketball aspects. It's kind of a movie made for me in a way. So from my perspective, because, you know, there's not too many perfect movies, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Okay. So we'll say, we'll say you're 90% with, I'm 90%. with yep. Uncut Gems. What about you, Keith? Uh, well, I love Good Time. Good Time was one of my favorite movies of the decade. It's in my top 10. It's, uh, and it, I think between that and the, uh, this movie kind of solidified the Safdie brothers as filmmakers who I, I can't wait to see what they do next. And... Uh, I may not appreciated this movie my first go around, but I pre- I really appreciate it this time, and I know I'll appreciate it with each viewing. Eighty nine percent. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, this, I think this, I think, Good Times and Uncut Gems are movies that you should watch at least twice. You maybe space in between, because both times you watch it for the fir- both movies when you watch them for the first time, you get so wrapped up in the story that you're probably missing a lot of things going on in the background, maybe missing just some of some of the craft that you will then appreciate on a second viewing, right? The second time, maybe take a step back and just appreciate like all the things that went into it uh, from a craft point of view. And I can't think of a movie, you know, we compared it to Taxi Driver, but I, I'm, I get an experience from this movie that I don't think I can remember any other movie making me feel this way. So on that alone, that's impressive. And even though we said it's not for everyone, I would recommend it to anyone. And if they wind up not liking it, then fine. But people should at least give it a shot. Um, unless, you know, you're a Lindsay and you know you really wouldn't like it. Fine, I can get that. Uh, but I, I also would give this movie a like a 90%. Yeah, I would give it that. So... Yeah, where we're averaging like a like an eighty nine eighty nine ninety. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> we're all like at the same like level here. So I will make it official. Uh, on uncut gems, we are officially siding with the critics. <laughs> you know, with uh, Adam Sandler, I was thinking we could one day do like a whole like. Um, like maybe mini episode or bonus episode on his filmography because a lot of his movies, his comedies, his Happy Madison productions are all pretty much divided the same way. Critics hate them. Audiences love them with some varying degrees. So maybe we'll tackle that one day. Um, And love the sad man. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
whether love or hate his movies, you, he he's given us some some great comedies in the past uh, that we'll we'll go back to maybe old, much from way back in the day. For the and any time he ventures in, like whether it's uh, Punch Drunk Love or uh, Funny People, it's it's so appreciative. It's like man, yeah, he, he really can act has... given the right material. He totally does, and it's almost a shame that he spent so much time in his career. You know, doing some of these like really dumb comedies, especially like post, like I don't know, like from 2008 on, a lot of his comedies really. Uh, I understand. Even, it. even even a lot of his fans. Yeah, yeah of, he's having fun, I mean, man. Like, I think he, he doesn't give a shit. He gets to hang out with he gets fun. to hang out with friends in exotic places or like like <laughs> I sure. Uh, he he really loves his friends. Yeah, yeah. That that's if they're having fun making them, find more power to them. Then they they'll make money too. Some people enjoy them. Uh, you, and you know what's another movie that I actually uh, want to bring up to? Did you see the Meyerowitz stories? Yeah. On Netflix, that's another one where he actually has some really great uh, moments. He he actually has a really great dramatic performance, and him and Ben Stiller both two comedians giving great dramatic performances and also having really great chemistry with each other. There's a really compelling scene towards the end. So I don't if if you like Adam Sandler's dramatic performances definitely check that one out as well if you haven't already um so thank you sean for joining us today to discuss uncut gems now in the past we previously had you we had both you know you and Lindsay on and we would also like to bring Lindsay back on the podcast as well um and you know maybe find a movie that's more tailored for her that she would want to discuss (laughs) so yeah no doubt man yeah appreciate it we'll uh maybe have her on later on this season um but yeah, thanks again, Sean. And uh, you know, until next time, guys. Uh, thanks for listening.